Good competitive start to the game. Fantastic noise inside Ellen Road. There always is on the big nights here. Visitors, however glorious they are, know they're in a game when they come to Leeds. And Dutrois going! And the free kick has gone directly in! And it's Lee Boyer! A dream start for Leeds! The road is low. Kelly now to swing it over. Again, there's no marking! Maduka has scored. What a magnificent opening here for Leeds. Smith. Kewell. Plenty in the box here, Leeds. Kewell looks at Hasselbank. And Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank has scored what could be a critical goal in the Premiership season. It might be the goal chances of retaining the title and they know it. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the teams of our lives with me, Marcus Speller, and him, Andy Brassel. Andy? Hello. Hello, sir. Oh, Andy, we've got there. Uh, sometimes we talk about huge teams and sometimes we talk about sort of quirky sides. I would put this in the more kind of quirky side, if you know what I mean. Would you agree? Um... Uh, I don't know. Uh, Quirky might not, might not be the right word. Uh, I'll I tell you what. The French love a Perdon Magnifique. Oh, don't we all? And so do I. Yes. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a per- blah, 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 Magnifique with David O'Leary's Leeds United 2000-2001 season. <laughs> Round of applause. Of course, they finished fourth in the league and famously reached the semi-finals of the Champions League. What leaps to mind, Andy, when you think of O'Leary's babies? Well, that for a start, <laughs> straight away. I mean, I always tend to think though of O'Leary's reign at Leeds a bit like when George Graham, his predecessor, uh, joined Tottenham, because you know yeah. there's that story that. Um, George Graham had the Arsenal crest um, ceramically created at the front of his house on the way in. And when he became the, the, the Tottenham manager, it had to be all dug up because, well, people um. simply wouldn't tolerate that. And what O'Leary did after taking over from George Graham at Leeds was, I think, the coaching equivalent of that, really. Because... If you think, he um, ended his playing career at Leeds and then George Graham, with the Arsenal connection, invited him to be his assistant. Now, I remember quite well when um, Graham left and O'Leary took over for what you know seemed like a just a bit of caretakerness. And um, he, he took them at, at Roma away in the, in, in the UEFA Cup mm-hmm. and quickly he impressed. And I struggle to think off the top of my head until we get into, say, Hansi Flick. And that was different because he was appointed by the club, not by Niko Kovac. Um, because, you know, that would have been the equivalent of, you know, inviting the fox in your barn. I, I think, <laughs> I, I struggle to think of that many assistants who've gone on to outstrip the achievements of the head coach that they took over from. You know, we tend to think of it as a Steve McLaren with England sort of situation, don't we? But 
not only was O'Leary rampantly successful, he did it in a about as far from the George Graham style of football as as, as you could possibly imagine, really. Well, he he had um, taken the reins at, uh, in October 1998 and steered Leeds to a fourth place finish, which was an achievement because obviously when he took over, they weren't in great shakes. And then the following season, they finished third, reached the UEFA Cup semi-final, beaten, of course, by Fatty Tirim's at Galatasaray, which we spoke about on a previous pod. Um, but Leeds were playing good football. They had some very, very good players. And I think they were kind of... They were that side... I don't know if there's an equivalent right now. I would argue maybe Brendan Rodgers, Leicester City. But that side that that people thought, oh, maybe they could challenge for the title. But they enjoyed watching them play. They liked certain players. I mean, Harry Kuehl was obviously... He was a beautiful mm. boy. He played great great stuff and and they were kind of a lot of people's second team or that team that people really liked which is not usually commonplace for for Leeds of course a, a, a sort of status that they relish I think sometimes those fans yeah I I think so and um I think when you talked about that 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 terrific 99-2000 season and getting in the Champions League the remarkable thing is by the time you get to the first bit of uh, 2000, 2001 season. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's maybe just a fleeting moment in time. Because, they started slowly. Yeah, very slowly. And I, I think you you look at the start of that season. Well, the, the first half of the Premier League season for a start, when they're expected to make at least a, a punt for the title. And people were really ready for that because bear yeah. in mind, in the back half of the 90s, You've got this incredible rivalry following the arrival of Arsene Wenger between Manchester United and Arsenal. And you and I have talked about this recently as it is still, for me, the rivalry of the Premier League era post-1992. You know, the intensity, um, the... Well, a level of war, as Arsene Wenger called it on Ramble Meets. He said it was was a war. Um, It was incredible. Definitely. In in a way that games don't... Like games don't feel like that, like like that anymore. They don't feel tactical battle and whatnot, but this felt like two tribes going at it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the the two managers were a huge part of that. Obviously, two enormous personalities. But you have that bit in between, um, I guess, ninety eight, ninety nine, and like the getting to Arsenal winning the league in what two thousand and two. There's there's this little gap where Arsenal are still kind of there, but they can't really lay a glove on Manchester United. Mm -hmm. So at that point, we as Premier League neutrals or as non-Manchester United fans are maybe looking for another team with a new approach, with a different image, a different way of doing things, different players, new exciting players to to have a crack at, at Manchester United. So I kind of wonder... If part of the Leeds thing, and they needed no encouraging to get like lost in the possibility of it, as as was subsequently proved. Mm. But I think there was definitely something of the public willing another contender into existence as 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 well. But you look at the first half of that Premier League season, and of course we'll come on to the Champions League in a bit. They were twelfth at Christmas, and it was a really really yeah. horrible start. And then. When you get to the second half of the campaign, they were 
so good. And, you know, bear in mind, we should reiterate, you talked about when they finished third and qualified for the Champions League. At this point, to remind, top three were Champions League places, not top four. So fourth was only good for uh, UEFA Cup at the time. And despite the fact that they were 12th at Christmas, if they hadn't of what, third game from the end of the season, um, Leeds lost at Highbury, they lost at Arsenal. And if they'd have just even got a draw out of that, they would have finished third in, instead of Liverpool. So they were really, really close in the end. So a season in which they were so close to a great many things, they didn't really end up with anything to to show from it. But, but you know, people still remember that team and, and quite rightly so. Yeah. And you should say that, you know, you've, you've hinted at it as well, that the 2000-2001 season, which is what we're sort of honing in on now, there were big things expected of Leeds. You know, they'd finished high in the season. And I think, as you said, people were projecting their hope because it was kind of like anyone but Manchester United for a lot of the neutrals. But also yeah. the fact is that it wasn't one of... it Because we'd seen Liverpool and Liverpool had some good players and we, we enjoyed them as well at that time. But Liverpool, you knew, were a big established side, a bit like Arsenal. Now, I know Leeds had won the league not that long ago, but actually I had no memory of that. And I think a lot of fans... Um, of, of You're so young, Spells. Yeah, well, did you? I, mean, I don't know if you did. You remember Leeds winning the league? <laughs> yes, you did. Okay, I wanted well, to give well, you the benefit well, of the doubt there, Andy. That's very kind of you, but yes, I do remember them okay. winning, winning the league in '91. Yeah, okay, but but it did feel like even though they were a big club, they were a little bit more on the outside rather than your Arsenal's and Liverpool's. I think. But anyway, that summer uh, or, or that season, should I say, because um, there wasn't transfer windows. Of course, they signed. Um, Olivier Decor from from Lyon, who was a great signing. Mark Viduca from Celtic, Dominic Matteo from Liverpool, and Rio Ferdinand from West Ham. All of those players were signed for big money, uh, and the money they were spending it was a statement. Uh, Robbie Keane would sort of be brought in, I think, initially on loan from Inter during the season as well. Yeah, but, they, but big names they were doing big business with big clubs, and they had Ferdinand was a transfer record and. Uh, or certainly for a defender, uh, I forget now, there's so many other transfers that have happened <laughs> over the years. Uh, but it was a huge one. And, you know, O'Leary said years later that he felt the title was out of the question that season. As he said, there were more capable teams. But he had, but he then goes in the same breath immediately on to say, but he hoped to improve on the previous season, which was when they finished third. So he is he saying that he, he distinctly they were the second best side in the country? I, I don't quite know. Maybe I'm being a little harsh and we should take it in the spirit of what was what he meant. But I suppose he was still thinking, let's just get that third place. In in today's money, get a fourth place, a top four finish is, is what he was thinking. Yeah. But I think with those signings, with the football they were playing and with that projected hope that I think a lot of the neutrals had, people did expect big things of them that year end. Yeah, they really did. And as you say, it sort of all snowballed really during the season. So even though the big things under- in the league, I should say, because Champions yeah. League, it was outrageous what happened. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it became clear at Christmas that big things in the league would be qualifying for the Champions League again because they were going to have to be almost faultless from Christmas to the end of the season to get in the top three. And they almost were. As we said, they almost were. Um, but those signings sort of continued during the season as they aimed to build on, on the Champions League success. I mean, I think Rio have arrived in 
November, didn't he? And as you say, world record fee for a defender. Yeah. And the the previous world record fee, I mean, they bought Rio Ferdinand for 18 million. The previous record fee for a uh-huh. defender had been 13 when Roma bought um, yeah. Volta Samuel. And um, that was, yeah, that, that was quite a lot more. So it was a, a huge step forward. I mean, remember Harry Redknapp saying at the time, look, we never wanted to sell Rio, but when someone offers you that kind of money, what are you going to do? You know, there's there's, there's absolutely no yeah. option. So he was a great addition. And I think it was enormous credit to Rio that he was someone who proved himself as a, a really good player for them when that price tag was a, a really big one. And, um, you know, if, if it have slipped up, people would have let him know about it. I, you know, there's no question about that. Um but the Robbie Keane one, and again, this projects a little bit forward to um, future financial hardships. But I remember Peter Ridsdale saying at the time, oh, well, the, the reason we've signed him initially on loan is because, you know, we've spent quite a lot recently, so we don't want to go over the top. And uh, you look at that now in retrospect. And you're like, Whoa. <laughs> wow, and of course, wow, they, wow. they did sign him permanently as well. They did sign him permanently for some, what, 12, yeah. thir- 13 oh, hell million. <laughs> yeah, ex- ex- exactly. I, I, I tried to keep a straight face, but it just wasn't working. Uh, but Ridsdale was interesting yeah. because at a time when club owners or, or club chairmen were not really that visible, he was suspiciously visible i would say he was i think enjoying the notoriety of um not of like you know spending a a lot to have like tropical fish in his office which was one of the things when Leeds really started hitting the wall (laughs) that, that, that people dug him out for but i think the fact that you know he was the head and sort of the head of and steering this young successful sexy project which as you say by this point had started to pile on experienced players as well you know you talked about Oli Decor and uh, Viduka and, and, and players like that but you can understand why they were chasing the dream because what they did in the Champions League in this season was extraordinary and it did look like the start of a dynasty yeah. uh, going back to the start of that we talked about the bad start in the league they lost 4-0 at Barcelona yeah. with like half a fit team yeah, maybe on, on the opening night of the Champions League. And yet they still managed to come out of the group at the expense of Barcelona. It's amazing. And they're in that yeah. group with Barcelona, mm. with Milan. It's, it's an absolutely tremendous effort to to get through that. They beat um, Milan at Elland Road, of course. It was that handling error by Dida that let in the winning goal by uh, Lee Boya. Oh, it's a terrible error when you look at it again. It really is a strange one. It's, it, it but takes, that's what you need. Takes you need a little bit of luck, and you're away. And it, yeah. and it sparks the it sparks the the, the sort of the fire, if you like. When, when you said a little bit of luck, I was expecting you to say you can make it through the night. You let me yeah. down, but we'll move that's on swiftly from that. Um, <laughs> but Lebo, you of course nearly got a winner against Barcelona as well. I mean, what what a first group stage in the Champions League that would have been. But Rivaldo scored in what the fourth minute of stoppage time in that game at Elland Road, as they nearly got their own back on them. Um, but they still managed to get through. Bo is such an interesting figure. I was going to say, in that game, don't brush over Paul Robinson's performance against Barcelona. Oh no way, no way. He was he was he was terrific. He was, he was because because you had Nigel Martin in goal, who was a, you know a bit of a veteran. But yeah. Robinson came in for that game against mm. Barcelona, and it was so. 
I think it was, was it a shot that came off the post or something? And he was unlucky, but it, yeah, 94th minute, but it was nearly a very famous clean sheet for him. Obviously, yeah. in the end, it didn't matter. But the way he came, I remember just thinking, wow, they are just, they are just getting young, talented players just from all angles here, this Leeds United side. Yeah. Don't it make you feel good to think about that all over again? <laughs> eh? Also, they, they hammered Besiktas 6-0 yeah. at home. That was, was that was that was something. That was them really spreading their wings. But I have to say there were there were two moments that, that really stood out in this uh Champions League campaign for me. And of course, eventually they that they, they go out in the in, in the semi-final, as we said. The, the the big ones for me are the, the the second group stage because of course the the Champions League was in a different format then you had two group stages and then the quarterfinals and yeah. um, they they of course hastened the departure of Sven into the loving arms of England yeah. by going and beating mm-hmm. them at the Stadio Olimpico. Alan Smith scored the winner in that one, didn't he? But if you look at that Lazio side, mm-hmm. that Lazio side that were Italian champions at the, team, at, the, at the time, not only did they have Sven in charge, but you look, they had Nedved, um, Marcelo Salas mm-hmm. and Ernan Crespo up front. It was it was still an incredible team. They had Nesta, despite the fact that yeah. that, that, that Verona had moved on by, by by that point. So, you know, it was it was it was it was, it was something like, really incredible to get one over on on them away from home. And then the point where I thought this team are are really going to be consistently a contender is when they went to to Anderlecht and won four one, and that night. Viduka in particular was absolutely fantastic. So was Kuhl. And up until yeah. that point, I think Anderlecht had won all of their their home games at the Constant Vandenstock in um in, in the Champions League that season. And Leeds just absolutely pummeled them. They were yeah. totally irresistible that night. Yeah, I think that in the in that first group, as you say, with Barcelona and Milan and so on. There was a bit of a because they had been beaten four 0 by by Barcelona. There was a little bit of the, oh, can we be the whipping boys? Can we be the sort of the cheeky, artful dodger here? Yes, and take a few points and and be a bit naughty. And then when they needed to get the point at the San Siro, they did. But that showed a bit of maturity when they went away to Milan in a in a, in a way that we hadn't sort of seen before, perhaps. So when they get to this second group stage, um, yeah, okay, they lost twice to Real Madrid, but the the, the three two loss at the Bernabeu was a great you know very entertaining match and it felt differently but again the way they held their own against Lazio and as you say you know with Anderlecht it felt like no we're here we we deserve to be here we are actually reveling in this and O'Leary said years later the great thing about that squad was that they were young and a bit naive so they were totally fearless they weren't experienced and never overanalyzed things they relished the big occasions and they would never freeze. We would train on the pitch before an away game and you could just tell the players were inspired by the biggest, by playing in the biggest, most famous stadiums on the planet. And I absolutely love that because that is what somebody, the casual football fan or the big football fan, would want to say, someone like myself, you you imagine, you know, the night before a, a big game like that, you're at the Bernabeu and you're looking around going, bloody hell this is incredible and that's exactly what they were feeling these players and it mm. showed in their football because they're not going there going shitting hell wow okay we're up against it. Oh, this is intimidating whatever they were just like yeah this is amazing and we're going to enjoy every kick yeah and they could have got something out of that game at the the, the Bernabeu of course mm. because Raul scored with his hand 
yeah. afterwards admitted it, apologized, got fined and banned for a match, and then UEFA went back on it and rescinded the ban. <laughs> <laughs> Answers on a postcard. Um, but yep. for me, the key figure in all of this, um, who we've briefly touched on, is Lee Bowyer. Because what's so extraordinary mm. about this run to the, the the Champions League semis is so much was happening for Leeds off the pitch and a lot of it very negative. Now, of course, they've well, been yeah. through um, the, the the horror of what happened in, in Istanbul on the eve of the semi-final um, in, in the UEFA Cup the year before. Um, but of course, as as, as, as people know, um, in 2000, um, a group of Leeds players were on a night out and uh, among them, uh, Jonathan Woodgate and Lee Bowyer were um, involved in a, in a group that attacked very badly um, an Asian student called Safraz Najib. And um, he, was, he was seriously injured. It went to court. And uh, there, there, there are two really extraordinary aspects to this. While um, Bowyer and Woodgate were doing the court case, um, Bowyer's form, um, Woodgate's form absolutely dropped off a cliff. Um, they covered for him, as O'Leary yep. later wrote, by saying he had an injury. Um, but he looked gaunt, drawn, worried. Bowyer managed to shut it all out and play the football of his life. And he was unbelievable that season. And he would um, have a chauffeur-driven car and, in one case, a helicopter bring him from Crown Court to Champions League matches and then just play as if nothing was happening. Now, this in a way sort of played against him in terms of, of, of public image because I know a lot of people have got opinions on Lee Bowyer and, you know, it's, it's all on the record. You know, everyone um, knows about the, the, the certain misdemeanors that have, um, he's, he's been involved in in his career. But Well, and, and, the ju- and the judge in that court case had a few choice words as well. He he did, and but what what I think is 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 interesting is at the end of this, Lee Bowyer wasn't wasn't convicted in the criminal trial. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Woodgate was, and mm-hmm. um, yet Bowyer because he played so well in this period, it was a bit like that thing that um, Agent De Kuyan says in um, the Usual Suspects about if 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 you've got two people you've accused of a crime and um, you lock them up. The one that's sleeping soundly is, is the one that's done it because he, he knows he's caught and he's, he's, he's lets his guard down. And that kind of happened with Bowyer. That's, that's the way the public perceived him. That idea that, oh, well, you know, he's, he's, he's just playing brilliantly. He's, he's got, he's got no conscience. Whereas it looked like Woodgate was feeling it where you know, Woodgate was convicted for his part in a very serious crime mm-hmm. and, you know, went on like after that to and Bowie be, wasn't. be given a new contract. Yeah, ex- mm. ex- exactly. But, um, yeah, but Bowie was unbelievable that season and to be able to shut all that yeah. out while everything that was going on off the pitch mm. and produce those kind of performances. I don't think it's any exaggeration to say at that point, certainly outside Manchester United, he was, he was the best midfielder in England. He was fantastic. Yeah, and 
and and and and when you talk about you know being able to shut that stuff out and play magnificent football, you know that we're very much saying that, of course, in the name of sort of um, discipline of the mind and professionalism on the football pitch, you mm. know. Um, but uh, yeah, I I I, I, th- I think it's 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 incredible. And I, I also just a little highlight for for Mark Viduka as well, who when you've got a forward like that who can bring others into the games into the game when they had goals all over the pitch and Eric Backer as well, a name that mm. I thought, oh blimey. Yeah. All these players, uh, you know, it, it, they had goals everywhere, but with Viduka, he couldn't half put the ball in the net, which was of course seen in that famous four, three win over Liverpool when he scored all four goals, just everything he touched just seemed to kind of just float into the back of the net that day. You know? uh, it, was, was, it was extraordinary. Cause that, like that yeah. was only one of the very few highlights in, uh, the Premier League campaign in that that first half of the season, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, yeah, that was that that was magnificent. I mean, that <laughs> that that is one of your all time great Premier yeah. League games. That he was he was absolutely wonderful that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, o- O'Leary said, you know, with the, with the young squad that they had, you know, they did struggle to keep their league form up with their Champions League form, which is fair. But you know, they still finished fourth in the league. Bearing in mind, as you say, the off-field stuff that would have been a distraction. There's no two ways about that, of course. And you know what? O'Leary didn't really help with that because, of, of course, it deserves a lot of credit for the way he coached the team. Mm-hmm. But he, he wrote a book on this called Leeds United on Trial. And, <laughs> you know... What are you doing, David? I'm, I'm sure that there must have been a lot of people around him who tried to talk him out of this. But I can't imagine it did a huge amount for his his reputation with the players. And given that he'd obviously created such an incredible synergy with them, it was a it was a real shame how, how quickly it fell apart afterwards. Leeds played Deportivo La Coruña, of course, in the quarterfinal of the Champions League, going back to that. And they won the first leg 3-0 and it was kind of like, oh, hello, that's a bit tasty. And then they lost the second leg 2-0 and it was a good Deportivo side. Of course, you don't get the quarterfinal of the Champions League without being half decent. And it was it, it was a little bit shaky, Andy. A little bit. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like Leeds, Leeds were like Depor's proto Milan. You remember, like, oh yeah. If, if you yeah, go to yeah, two thousand and four, yeah. where um, Milan won the first leg at San Siro four uh, one, and then they lost four 0 in the return. That is um, incredible. Yeah, inspired, inspired by Albert Luque and and, and and company. I mean, yeah. in this game. Leeds didn't only lose 2-0. Deportivo had 20 shots on goal and Leeds had none. <laughs> I mean, this was, it was, a, it was such a proper cauldron. pasting. Oh, the Riasor was have amazing been, in those to... days. Yeah, I have, yeah. Is it quite something, or was back then? I have. I mean, what's amazing about um, the Riasor, I think at the time that Deportivo were, well, of, of course, they've, they've very recently been champions of spain for the for, for, for the first time they were champions in in, in 2000 so they're an incredible side anyway um but it, it doesn't really feel like a, a city that's going to be full of football further the the, the, the place that the rio thor is, is 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 it's just on the end of the beach basically you walk along the beach and mm-hmm. and you get there all of a sudden there's a stadium with really steep stands and there are very few um clubs in Spain from cities of less than 250,000 people that have won La Liga. I think uh, La Coruña, Deportivo La Coruña is is one of what three, two or three. Uh, so um, when you get a stadium 
like that. And it's so geographically isolated. It's like a mini version of Perth in Western Australia. You know, it's right out there on the Northwest tip. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's very self-contained and it, it creates a certain amount of passion. The fact that, you know, at that time you've got, I don't know, 10, 12% of the, the city's population <laughs> in the ground. I think that creates something really special, but mm-hmm. uh, honestly, yeah. Leeds were, Leeds were battered and just to come through it was amazing. The only like champions league, second leg battering that a team survived that sort of compares to that is probably, I think Atletico Madrid in 2016, you remember that second leg away to Bayern where they were just absolutely submerged for oh, all of goodness. all of that game. And Jan Oblak saved them. They um, love it though. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, very, very enjoyable. I don't think Leeds loved it, but they love getting through. <laughs> no, they did, they did. And they played Valencia, of course, a very, very good Valencia side in the semi-final. Mm. And when they drew nil-nil at home, I remember people thinking, ooh, yeah, not sure about that. It's going to take something special. And of course, Valencia, who'd been playing great stuff themselves, won the second leg 3-0. And that was, of course, when we saw the shaved heads of Leeds United. Everyone but uh, free kick specialist Ian Hart uh, shaved their heads. <laughs> but I think he had good reason, though. I think He was getting married, maybe, wasn't he? He was, get, he was getting married, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, no, it's... It's it's funny that that game because um, you know the Mustay is a real bear pit as as, as well and particularly was then because um, Valencia were doing very well they were heading towards what turned out to be their second successive Champions League final although they didn't win either of them under Hector Cooper they were very difficult to break down defensively um, which I think says a lot for that first leg result but of course that opening goal by Juan Sanchez never gets allowed nowadays. There's a fair chunk of hand in that. It's it's it's, it's fair to say, and th- that's not the sole reason that Leeds lost. I mean, Valencia was simply better than them, and I think if you look at that team at that point, we talked about best midfielders um, in England. Well, Mendieta was probably the best in Europe at that time, and he ended up scoring the third goal in, in that um, in, in that second leg. But Gaiska Mendieta was absolutely untouchable at, at that point. And it was just a bridge too far for them. Yeah. It was, it was, sadly. Um, but they went a lot further than what a lot of people thought. And of course, they played bigger size because of that double group stage thing, which made getting to the semi-final even more of an achievement. You've got to come mm. through two groups against the likes of Real Madrid, and Lazio and Milan and Barcelona and so on. Uh, and, 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 and they finished the season. In the following season, they finished fifth. Robbie Fowler was on board uh, at this point. 2003, 2002, 2003, the crack started to show and then O'Leary left the club. Venables took over um, as a change of chairman. And they finished 15th with Peter Reid as manager. Peter Reid. It's cr- incredible. And this happened so quickly after this, this Champions League semi-final. You know, it was only a few years later and then Reid was sacked. And ultimately, the club would be relegated in, in 19th place, you know, in, in, you know, as I say, just a few seasons later. and wouldn't see them again in the Premier League for a long, long while. But O'Leary said that, he he likened his time at Leeds to Pochettino's at Spurs, where they never won a trophy, but they had a great time, and the relationship with the fans will always be good between himself and 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 Leeds, and as they will be with Spurs and Pochettino, uh, you know, unless something outrageous happens. And I, and I sort of I, I get that. I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think 
it's, it's something that leads to going through again now, isn't it? When yeah. you have people who are either all in on Bielsa or, or, or think he's a complete myth. But the fact is that football is is more is more about about more than wins. It's it's about more than the trophies. And those of us who support teams who never bloody win anything. And yeah, I am looking in the mirror and I am looking at you, Marcus C. Speller. Um, realize that that that, that, that that there is more about it than uh, more to it than that. And um, you know, just having that joy, having that excitement, having that sense of of possibility. Mm-hmm. And really being entertained and exhilarated. It's a wonderful thing. It's a really wonderful thing. And we should remember yeah. these teams. And we do remember these teams with with good reason. And talking of memory, I should have said it, it was 92, wasn't it, that Leeds won the last first division because the Premier League started in 92, 93. Take your word for it, mate. Don't remember. <laughs> there we are, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening to Teams of Our Lives. Uh, I hope you Leeds fans enjoyed that one. We'll be back next week. Another side from the annals of time. Until then, say goodbye, Andy Brassett. Goodbye. Bye from me. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.